Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Teach us to pray. Amen. Well, as Lisa said, our youth are at camp, and uh, we have 20, 20 youth that are at camp right now, which is absolutely amazing. We've watched our youth group just growing, not just numerically, but in the depth of maturity in the Lord. Um, and I've got to tell you, it's a bit of a problem when youth camp comes around here on Sunday mornings, because our youth serve their guts out. Um, they serve in the tech team and the, in the media. They serve on the worship team. They serve behind the scene with kids. And we kind of have to scramble when our youth are gone to cover all of those spots, which is a great thing uh, to have to deal with. But uh, wow, our kids are amazing. Our youth are amazing. So for those of you who have youth at camp, know that they're doing well. Um, uh, our leaders up there, Blake and Kyle uh, and Deanna are up there. And then Pastor Megan is up with them this weekend as well, um, just ministering to the girls. Uh, she called me last night after the service, and she said it was an amazing time. We had a few, a few kids that recommitted their lives to the Lord last night. Uh, we had one kid that was uh, miraculously healed, um, and just God is doing amazing things. Um, and for those of you who aren't aware, we, have, we do district camps, so there's uh, about 450 campers from all over Southern California, Arizona, southern nevada and even as far away as southern utah that come together uh and they're having a blast and it's so it's about 11:30, so they're just getting done with activities and getting ready to go to lunch but would you continue to pray for them over the next few days they come home on tuesday um and just be praying that god would just do an amazing work in their lives amen, amen. all right we good good all right. I, we missed you last Sunday. We were out of town last Sunday at a wedding, and um, I just always miss being here. I, it's, it just feels weird to me not to be with my church family. I know it's July, and we've got people on vacations and people out and about. We're going on vacation in a few weeks, which I'm really excited about. I haven't had a, a vacation in a little while, and we're stoked to get out of town with at least two of our kids. We're in that season where some of our kids are getting older and have jobs and responsibilities, and they're like, sorry, we can't go with you. And uh, it's, just, it's kind of a bummer, but um, we're looking forward to getting away and getting some rest, and hope you can as well. Well, we're going to continue our series this morning on prayer. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And this has been a, a longer series than what we usually do, but we understand this, that prayer is, is one of those subjects that really we could spend a year talking about prayer and never exhaust the subject of prayer. There's so much that can be covered and so, so, much, so much depth to the subject of prayer. Um, I mean, if you even just do a, a search, if you go on Amazon or if you go on a, do a Google search or go to christianbooks.com and you just type in books about prayer, 
you, you're going to find so many resources, so many things that, that can be uh, of value to you. And, and, and there, there are so many scholars that spend time studying prayer and pressing into the, 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 the different aspects and facets of prayer. We know this, that prayer is important. As, as Christians, as believers, even as just as Americans, I think we, we understand this, that prayer is important and that prayer occupies very critical space in our lives, especially in those places, in those times where we feel like, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, in fact, I, I would say that for a lot of people, prayer is kind of that when I don't know the answer, or I don't know what to do, then I will turn to prayer. And hopefully through this series, you've discovered or rediscovered the fact that prayer is so much more than that. I've been making this statement over the last few weeks that prayer is relational before it is utilitarian. That prayer is relational before it is utilitarian. Prayer is not a tool that God gives us to use. Prayer is about fostering a relationship with God. I and mean, we even sang about that this morning. God, I want to be in your presence. I want, to, I want to be in this place where you are. Jesus, you're here, so this is holy ground. And, and quite often that happens when we're in a place of prayer and intimacy with the Father. And so there is a utilitarian or a functional part of prayer that is absolutely necessary, but it doesn't supersede the fact that prayer is about relationship which you will hear from time to time in this church. Luke 11, 1 through 13 says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And Jesus here presents the shorter version of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. But the heart here for the disciples is this. Jesus, we need you to teach us to pray because we're watching you and we're recognizing that you have the kind of prayer life we want and we don't know how to get there. So would you teach us, would you show us the way? Everything we do in life, we learn somewhere. Everything. There's nothing that we do in our lives that we didn't learn from someone else. And some of those are good things and some of those things are not that great, right? We, we learn good habits and we learn not so great habits from watching the world around us, from the people that invest in our lives. And really it's the things that we desire to, to grow in, to press into, that are going to be developed more. The disciples yearning, their heart is, we want to pray the way you pray. We want to have the kind of relationship with the Father that you, did, you do. So please teach us to pray. And oh, that our heart would be the same way. God, teach us to pray. This morning, uh, the subject I want to focus on is this, that we are free to pray, free to pray. What I want to address is this, the hindrances that keep us from prayer, but I didn't want to title, title the message, the hindrances that keep us from prayer, because it just sounds negative. I want to focus on the fact that we are free to pray, and then stuff gets in the way of that freedom, right? Right? That we are free to pray, but then things get in the way. 
What's interesting to me is that most other religions in the world prescribe prayer. That prayer is something that, that you were told to do. You're told the times at which you're, t- you're, you're uh, required to pray. If you've ever been uh, in the Middle East, for instance, you will hear the call to prayer coming from the mosques at certain times of the day. And, and the call goes out, and, and the requirement is this. You stop what you're doing, and you pray. I was, on, I was leading a missions team to Kenya a number of years ago, and we had to spend a night in Dubai. And, and uh, for many, it was their first time being in a predominantly Muslim nation. And, and all of a sudden, at all of these points during the day, you hear the call to prayer. And then, you know, the, 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 the imam or whoever it would be leading that prayer. And, and, and it's not just in Islam. It's other, other religions... Say, this is when you're going to pray. Every day you will pray at these times. They prescribe places to pray. You have to go to a place to pray. And it's some for many religions, there's even a, a, a pilgrimage that would happen so that one time in your life you would go and pray in this particular place because that will bring you closer to whatever deity it is that they're serving. And then there's actual prayers that you're told to pray, that you don't have the freedom to just pray, that you're told what to pray. These are the prayers that you pray and you read out of a book. Now in our Christian tradition, there have been seasons where there were prayers that have been written and prayers that have been recited, but, but those have been more the, 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 the input of men, and, and a lot of those prayers are powerful, but the reality is that Jesus gives us a model for prayer, but doesn't dictate to us exactly what that prayer, the, 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 the mode and the time and the means and the location of that prayer, because prayer is about relationship in the kingdom of God. And if I start dictating to you what our relationship is going to be, Guess what? It's not a relationship anymore. Am I right? We good? All right, we're tracking? It's in Christianity that we realize this, that prayer is no less essential in our Christian faith than it is in other denominations or rather other religions. But God doesn't dictate in that same kind of way. He definitely tells us that we need to pray and he, to pray and he tells us about the importance of prayer. Provides frameworks and guidelines, but in the midst of that, he creates a place of freedom so that we're free to be in relationship with him, to meet with him in a way that fosters intimacy and closeness. But here's the problem. What often happens is when there's freedom, there's also apathy and neglect and a lack of appreciation and even entitlement. I mean, it was one of the things as a nation in celebrating the, the 4th of July and Independence Day this last week. What is our great cry as a nation? It's just we have this freedom. Yet so often that very freedom that we celebrate is completely neglected by the people who enjoy it. That we don't make the most of the freedom. And I think the thing that is the same of the kingdom of God. That God has given us certain freedoms in our relationship with him, but if, we, if we're not careful that there will be an apathy and a neglect and a lack of appreciation or even a sense of an entitlement that comes to us as believers, as followers of Jesus. See, it's important for us to discover the balance between intimacy and reverence when it comes to prayer. 
intimacy and reverence to the imminence and the transcendence of God. And I think in, in a Western Christianity, we've, we really are, we lean heavily towards the, 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 the intimacy part to the to the imminence of God, that Jesus is close. I remember years ago, one of my friends was like, yeah, JC is my buddy. Oh man, it bothered me. And I'm like, no, he's your Lord and your King. And yes, he's your friend, but there was all, it was almost like he crossed the line. And you know, I'm like, and, and it, if it didn't bother him, that's fine. But it bothered me because, because as I, I was raised in the church, I was taught that you have this reverence for the Lord, that he is both approachable and he is completely overall. We understand this. We say this as a nation. Freedom isn't free, right? That our freedom in the body of Christ was purchased at Calvary's cross. Jesus paid a great price for our freedom. As we even remembered as we came to the table this morning... And so he opens the way, the curtain is ripped in two, is torn, and we are given access to the throne room of God. And so there is this place where we can come boldly, as I mentioned before, but also with reverence, and that there just needs to be a healthy tension in our lives in regard to that. So with that in mind, I want to address what I see as just a few. This is not a comprehensive list. This is a few of the things that become hindrances in our prayer lives, especially as it relates to us just kind of losing that, that, that savor in the freedom we have with the Lord's. And, and what I want to do is then present some practical steps, some things that we can do to just revive and rekindle our prayer lives in that walk with the Lord. Sound good? I know it's kind of heavy this morning. It's like, whoa, Okay. <laughs> But, but I think this is so important for us. It's important for us to address, to go to these places in our walk with the Lord. So, so the first thing is this. The first point I want to make is this. When it comes to our freedom in prayer, to, that we are free to pray is this. Slow down to be with Jesus. Slow down to be with Jesus. It's July 7th. Is anyone else just kind of freaked out by that? I'm like, we are halfway to Christmas. We're more than halfway to Christmas. 2019, we just celebrated the new year. What happened? And it feels like life is just, and I know every year, I remember my parents saying this when I was a kid, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I was in school, right? And you're like, school takes forever. But you get to this point, where you're like, man, life is just flying by. One of the things that's not helping is Facebook does this whole like, hey, five years ago, and it shows you a picture, right? And I'm like, how, how have my kids grown so much in such a short amount of time? And it's like, so it's just like right in front of me all the time. And life gets busy and it gets hurried. And we're just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And our calendars are full and our days are full and our time is full. And in the midst of that, we get so hurried and frenetic that we forget that we just need to be with Jesus. We wake up in the morning and we don't even have to get out of bed. Our brain is already engaged with the day. 
Any, anyone else? Anyone else wake up and you're just, you're already spooled up. Your brain is just, woo, here we go. That we need to slow down to be with Jesus. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Rut, Rot, or Revival, that's a good tongue twister, says this, and I have the words up on the screen. The treacherous enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the dictatorship of the routine when the routine becomes Lord in the life of the church. The treacherous enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the dictatorship of the routine when the routine becomes Lord in the life of the church. And he's not talking about the organization. He's talking about the people. That we can get into a place where life is just routine and our faith is just routine and doesn't get the attention it deserves and needs. And in fact, their routine can become the Lord, the master, and push Jesus out of his rightful place in our lives. See, the busyness and the routines of our lives will keep us from prayer. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too, and, and you know what? A good Christian might not say that out loud. But we definitely think it from time to time. And if not thinking it, we show it in our actions. I'm too busy to pray. I just don't have enough time throughout the day. And the reality is, yes, you do. But you have to slow down. You have to choose to slow down to be with Jesus. In fact, what happens with routine is this, is that we can start anticipating what's going to happen. I know that it's July, and so I know certain things are going to happen in July. And, I, and so I can anticipate their rhythm, and so my expectations of what God can do in the midst of this become diminished, and even my requests of Him stop, start falling by the wayside because I, I, I kind of know what's coming. I know what's going to happen, and we stop being in this place, this wonderment, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, where we're like, God, what do you want to do? What are you up to? And we just get into the motion. Luke 5, 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He withdrew to lonely places. He slowed down to be with the Father. He went to places that were distraction-free. How often? Often. I love that it doesn't give us a number. Because you know what we would do? We would just overlay that number over our lives and then live under condemnation that we don't actually do it. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Jesus went often and went and spent time with his father and he recognized he needed to slow down. Dallas Willard, in talking about soul, soul care, Talking uh, to, to his friend, John Ortberg said this, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. In fact, John had called him, was involved in a ministry situation where he was a very large church on staff as a pastor, and things were just whipping along. They were experiencing great growth and success, a, a worldwide ministry, and, and he was stressed out. John Ortberg was stressed out, so he calls Dallas Willard and says, 
Dallas, I just need some coaching. I need some help. What do I need to do? And Dallas says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John's reply was great. I wrote that down. What else? And Dallas said, there isn't anything else. That's it. That hurry and busyness becomes this thing that robs us of intimacy with Jesus. So as a point of application, let me ask you today, what are you currently doing that you don't need to be doing? We say yes way too much and no way too little. That we could stand as a culture and as a people to say no to more things. Where can you slow down? And I challenge you today, Look at your calendar, look at your schedule, look at your week, look at the rhythms that you have and start asking yourself, what can I eliminate? What can I take out that will help me slow down? Even block out in your calendar sections of time that are not devoted to anything specific, but are just blocked out to say, this is time where I'm slowing down. And if people say, are you busy at this time? You go, yes, I'm booked. They don't need to know why or what, right? Don't even feel like you have to give people, people an explanation. Well, you know, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't meet at that time. I need to be with Jesus. I need to be with Jesus. What are you currently doing that you don't need to be doing? Second is this. We have to develop the discipline of prayer. There's no getting around this. Prayer is a discipline. There's no way to sugarcoat it or just like, you know, it's just, oh, just, you know. You've heard this. I've probably even said this. Prayer is just talking to Jesus. I'm sorry. That doesn't, it doesn't translate into my life. Because if prayer is just talking to Jesus, I have been such a jerk to Jesus because I don't talk to him nearly as often as I should. And so if it's just talking to him, if it's just this, oh, it's just, no, it's more than that. And there's definitely, that's where we lean so heavily on the intimacy side. Jesus is my buddy. We just talk to each other. And yes, there is place where you can sit at the feet of Jesus, but there is a dimension of prayer that requires discipline, requires that we press in. Deeper levels of prayer. It's interesting that Lisa was talking about investing this morning. She didn't know that that was one of my illustrations. See, I can read books about investing, and I could go to school and study the stock market and investing. I could read everything and study everything and go to seminars and classes. I could become a master at reading the stock market or the reports deciphering all of the, the digits and letters and right and you see the things scrolling and you're like I don't even know what that means and right and I could become an expert in all of those things and predicting and, and navigating the trends in the markets. But here's the reality if I never take some money and set it aside and invest it, I will never have a return. There will be no return on what I know. And I think what we do a lot in the church is we know a lot about prayer. 
And I study prayer and I understand it. I listen to this person. I read that book. But if you don't discipline yourself to take time to pray, there will not be a return on the investment. I believe that we will stand before the Lord one day. Well, I don't believe. The Bible says that we will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. And I don't think that just has to do with productivity. I believe that's going to have to do more with intimacy. Hey, I gave you this life to live in intimate relationship with me. How did you spend it? Well, Lord, I did this for you, and I did this for you. I'm quoting Jesus, by the way. I did all these things in your name, and what, what's his response? Away from me, evildoers, because I don't know you. Yes, it's a heavy word. But it's designed to press us into a place where we discipline our lives to be with God. If there is no investment, there's no return. See, prayer is not so much a subject to be studied as it is a discipline that needs to be practiced. And yes, you can read more about prayer. I encourage, we have a Bible study going on with a woman right now, The Power of the Praying Wife, which, by the way, you can jump in and, and be a part of at any point. It's going on, I think, for a couple more weeks. We, we need to study, but it's not enough. I can't just know about it. I need to do it. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian scholar and author, refers to the discipline of prayer as being irksome. I love that. C.S. Lewis considered the discipline of prayer to be irksome, an irritation. It's a bother. I'm like, wow, that's C.S. Lewis. Man, I'm in trouble. He says this, the odd thing is that this reluctance to pray is not confined to periods of dryness. When yesterday's prayers were full of comfort and exaltation, today's will still be felt as in, as in some degree a burden. In other words, hey, I can have a prayer life, a, a moment in prayer yesterday where I feel so inspired and encouraged and the presence of God was just palpable. And I get up today and I still have to discipline myself to pray. Can I get an Amen. I tell you what, I, I love reading C.S. Lewis. He blows my mind regularly. And there's no little sense of comfort and understanding that even C.S. Lewis struggled with this. We have to invest. So again, Jesus withdrew often to lonely places and prayed. He was on a mission, but the mission did not trump the need for him to be with the Father. It was a regular part of his rhythm and routine. By the way, we're not alone in this struggle. In Matthew 26, 40 through 41, Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Okay, point of transparency. How many of you ever, have ever fallen asleep while you've been praying? All right? Been there. Like, Lord, I'm going to pray for an hour and ten minutes in. I'm out. I'm, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, Lord. 
I, I believe the Lord enjoys that, but I think we have to also say, I'm not going to try and pray when I'm tired. Pick a better part of the day. He found them sleeping, and he says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? Guys, I need you right now. He asked Peter, and then he says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, your spirit wants to pray. Your spirit yearns to pray. But your flesh is your flesh. Paul says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. I discipline myself. See, prayer is a whole person endeavor. It's spirit, it's soul, it's body. And we have to take the whole of who we are and say, you know what? I am choosing to discipline myself in the area of prayer. So, some point of application, some simple steps. Develop rhythms in your life. There is no one size fits all when it comes to this. There just isn't. There are people who are intercessor, intercessory prayers who will pray for hours every day. I am not one of them. I am not. And if that's you, God bless you. But for the, for the rest of us, it is about saying, Lord, I have to discipline myself and find the place where... I can get, get into a place where I press in in prayer. So discipline yourself or set aside some rhythms. So, so here's an easy thing to do. Uh, most of us have smartphones or devices that, that have an alarm. Set an alarm to just repeat every day at certain times of the day. At times that you know that you're not commuting or you're not busy in a meeting, but times where you know in the rhythm of your day, your day that usually there's a, a lull, there's a break, there's a slowdown in that, that part of your day. And just set an alarm. It's just a, oh, wait, yeah. And then don't commit right out of the gate to say, I'm going to pray for 25 minutes. Start with five. Start with five. And say, three times a day, I'm going to stop and just Pray for five minutes and just be with Jesus. And then pray about whatever it is that's going on. Just worship Him. Pray about the issues that are going on in your life, in, in your work or in your home. Or, you know, there was an earthquake or a number of earthquakes this week. Pray for the people who are suffering. You know, there's a community that, that's struggling. Pray for them. But, but set it as a part of your rhythm and use the device that you have with you almost all the time, which is most of us. As a reminder, I remember that, 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 that Paul's encouragement to pray without ceasing, I was like, I, I, it's a, it was burdensome to me. Oh, I better pray without ceasing, always. And, 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 and his heart is this, just be ready when you have a moment to turn to the Lord in every moment, but, but especially in those times where we're like, Lord, I'm just going to, I'm just going to spend a few minutes with you right now. Pray with your spouse in the morning or at night. And I'm not saying, hey, do a full devotional and a Bible study and just get into spiritual warfare. <laughs> Take a minute. Take a minute when you wake up and say, hey, let's just commit this day to the Lord. We do this in our family in a few different ways. Of course, we pray when we eat. It's just one of the things we do. We say grace and we, we thank the Lord for his provision. Every time we get in a car to go on a trip or drive somewhere, without fail, we get, in, okay, hey, let's just pray. And we, we don't just pray for safety, but we invite the Lord to be a part of our conversation, 
Um, the car's always been a place where we connect well as a family. We enjoy that. And we just invite his presence into that with us. Find that rhythm with your spouse or with your kids. Just at night when you're tucking them in. Just, just pray. Just speak blessing over them. Allow that to be a part of your rhythm. Third thing is this. Confess and repent of sin. Confess and repent of the sin in your life. I know there's sin in your life because you're not Jesus yet, right? You're not, you're not fully in the likeness of him. You're on your way. So you have sin in your life, and so do I. Sin will keep us from our prayer lives. Ongoing, unrepentant sin will lead to impotent prayer lives, to light prayer lives that are non-existent and become a barrier between us and God. See, Jesus says this, you can't have dual allegiance. A house divided, right? Abraham Lincoln, who just reflected what Jesus said. You can't have a dual allegiance, and sin is idolatry. It doesn't matter what form it is, sin is idolatry, and you're putting something in the place of God in your life. And so the idea behind confession and repentance is saying, God, just identify the things in my life, the things I know about, and even the things maybe I'm not as aware of, and, and, and let's just turn and let's pull down those idols. And I'm going to confess that sin, and I'm going to repent of that sin, so that my allegiance is given fully to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what happens is, is that when we confess our sin to Him, and by the way, I'll give you the po a point of application right here, you should have at least one person, if not a couple of people, a couple, three people in your life, who you can call and say, hey, I need, I need to bring something into the light. Especially when, the, when they're the deeper issues of life. Now, if you're like, hey, I just cut a person off on the freeway and I was really upset at that, like, just deal with that with you and the Lord. If you're like, start calling your friend every 20 minutes, like, okay, this is what happened now. They're going to be like blocking your number, like, go find another friend. No, I'm just but, but be quick to deal with that and find people in your life where you can say, listen, I need to bring this into the light. Because if you don't, that sin hangs over us when we come to prayer as this cover of guilt and shame in a place where the enemy can go, why do you think that prayer is going to be heard? God's not going to listen to you and start beating us down. We have to deal with that part of our lives. Ephesians 5, 11 through 14, Paul says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything is, is exposed by I'm sorry, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. By the way, what that means is this, is that when you bring your brokenness before the Lord, the Lord not only heals it, but that He makes that part of your life a part of your testimony and actually becomes something that illuminates and brings light to the world. This is why it is said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Stuff in the darkness doesn't produce fruit. Bring it into the light. And John writes in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we claim to live, if we claim to be without sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Everyone say faithful. Faithful. And just. Say just. And will forgive. Say forgive. Forgive. Our sins. And purify. Say purify. Purify us from all. All unrighteousness. That when we come to him and we say, God, here's what's going on in my life. First of all, he doesn't go, I had no idea. (laughs) Right? And he says, I receive you. And I see your heart. And I forgive you. And I purify, he justifies us and purifies us and makes us right and puts us back into right standing. All unrighteous, not, not just some, everything, everything. Did I mention that we have freedom in Christ? This is our cry. I'm free when I bring things into the light. Be diligent. Point of application. It's a good way to start and end your day. Lord, search my heart. Where do I need to bring things into the light that are in the darkness? Pay attention to repeating things. Lord, why am I struggling with this over and over? God, why have I struggled with this point of sin for 20 years? Maybe there's a deeper work of healing that needs to be there. And what the enemy wants to do is say, no, this disqualifies you. And God says, no, it's just a place I want to heal and make whole. Amen? And then finally this morning, rekindle a childlike faith. Kids. I love being at kid camp when the kids show up, especially kids camp. The youth, we have the saying, we're like, you're not too cool for camp. Right? You have the kids that show up and they're like, yeah. I'm like, dude, you're not too cool for camp. When we do activities, always like the group of guys against the fence. are like, I'm not, I'm not going to play that game because, you know. I'm varsity football. <laughs> Dude, get up and come play the game and blow up the balloon and throw the water and because d- you're not too cool for camp, right? I don't care. But little kids show up at camp and there's bounce houses and balloons and food and, and it's just, they're just like, oh, this is amazing. Wide-eyed wonder and it's the sense of Anything could happen. Anything could happen. So it's that part of kids where they're like, my dad is the best. And then you just fill in the blank, whatever it is. You remember that when you were a little kid? You know, usually it devolved into my dad could beat up your dad. But my dad is the best fisherman. My dad could jump higher than you. My dad could jump over a house. Never seen him do it, but I bet he could do it. And as kids, there's just that wonder, like, oh, anything is possible. See, a child's mind has not become cluttered with the knowledge and experience and presuppositions that we have as adults. Man, we get jaded, right? Jesus says, no, 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 be like a child in your faith. Expect me to do the unexpected I'm going to blow your mind. God, every day just wants to blow your mind. Come on, church. Every day, God just was like, let me just show you how big I am. Let me just show you how much I love you. No, that's probably not going to happen. Because, you know, 
been down this road before, and my experience tells me, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 14, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He doesn't say it just belongs to them. He says it belongs to such as these. What he's saying is there's something about these kids that we need to understand and that we need to maintain a childlike faith that every day we wake up and go, God, I don't know what you're going to do today, but I can't wait because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing because God takes care of his kids. So what gets in the way? I think sometimes unmet, unmet expectations in prayer. I, notice I didn't say unanswered prayer. Because God doesn't ever not answer prayer. He always answers prayer. What, what happens is this. We pray and expect him to answer a certain way. And when he doesn't, we're like, fine. See if I pray anymore. Now, I'm, I'm making light, but the reality is that there's usually a lot of hurt there. I remember after my grandmother died of brain cancer, Man, my grandfather had a hard time praying. Partly because the church really jacked him up and told him she died because he didn't have enough faith. Which you just go, by the way, if, if anyone's ever said that to you, that is not the heart of God. There can be real hurt behind that. And then sometimes it's just silly stuff where we don't get our way. In either case, God can bring healing to that. But our expectation in prayer should always be this. God, here's the need. Here's what's going on. I trust you to do what you need to do. And so we have to deal with that. This is why we have to rekindle a childlike faith. Because God, it didn't go the way, see, as we become adolescents and teenagers and young, young adults. Now there's this edge to us. We're like, well, yeah, you make these promises, but you don't follow through. And Jesus says, no, no, let's go back to what it, it's like to be a child. See, because God loves his kids and takes care of his kids. And it might not always be what we want or we like or what we think we need. Remember, I said one of the drawbacks of freedom is that we can end up being entitled. We can get to a place where it's like, well, I, that's do me. That's, that's part of, that's a right. I have a right to that. And God goes, no, 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 no. No, you don't. It's a blessing from heaven, and I want to care for you. Maybe it's because we've had negative experiences. Maybe we've been actually in prayer meetings where we've seen prayer not done well or weirdly. Can we just, just done weirdly where you're like, whoa, that was odd. If that's prayer, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Very often, though, it's just pride and self-sufficiency. I got this. I'm not going to bother God with the little stuff. I'll just bring the big issues to him. Can you imagine if your kids dealt with you that way? Like, and then there's those days where you're like, stop coming to me with everything. God, God never gets to that point, think, thankfully. But we get prideful, and we're like, I got this. And God's like, no, you don't. Whatever you think you got, you don't got it. Come to me. And then I think we just get into a place where we overthink it. Any overthinkers? Right? I'm an overthinker. I didn't say that right. 
the words didn't come out just right. Or I'm in a prayer circle and I'm like thinking of, I'm rehearsing. Okay, I won't ask for any volunteers on that. I rehearsed the prayer in my head because I don't want to sound foolish. And God's like, stop, because now you're not actually listening to what the other person is praying. I have to say the right words or I have to pray for a certain amount of time or God's not going to be pleased with this prayer. And he's going, just, just pray, just talk to me. Come just as you are. He means it. But we have to rekindle that because I've got to tell you, the enemy wants to rob us of that. It gets kind of pushed aside. We have to rekindle that wide-eyed wonderment with our Heavenly Father in prayer and say, God, would you just surprise me today? I know what it is you're going to do, but I know, I know you're going to move. Help me to see, God, the places where you're moving in my life. And then at the end of the day, you go back and you say, God, thank you. I saw you move here and here and in that conversation and in this way. And I didn't see that coming. And that was awesome. Nothing will stir your faith like childlike wonderment. Let's recapture that as we come to him. So ask yourself, in every situation, am I practicing Childlike faith. Can we stand together as we close? We have work to do as a church, as a people, as the children of God. He calls us to be a people of prayer. My heart and my prayer for us as a congregation is that we would find that place of joy being in the presence of God. And I want to just declare over you, if you felt like in your life, in your experience, that prayer has been burdensome, not in the way that C.S. Lewis says, where it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to really put effort into this. But if, if there have been weights placed on you by others, by churches, by leaders, by family members, that it just seemed like I can't carry that, would you just bring that to the Lord as we close this morning? And allow him to reignite something in you as you press in, as you commit yourself to do the work, as you slow down to be with Jesus, as you deal with the sin in your life. Let him meet you in prayer in ways that you've never seen Jesus meet you before. Amen. Jesus, this morning we thank you that you are close, that you are imminent, that we can be like Mary sitting at your feet, just receiving all that you have, soaking in the amazingness that is you and how close you are. And that, God, you are also transcendent, that you see every detail of our lives, the things that we see and even the things that we don't see, that you, you see our lives from the beginning to the end and that there's nothing that surprises you. And, God, in the midst of that, rather than just moving pieces on a chessboard, and dictating the path of our lives, God, that you call us into relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that in this place of prayer, that we would press in into the intimacy that is prayer. To be in relationship with you. And God, in the midst of that, that our minds would just be blown and just completely rocked by how big you are how you want to move on our behalf. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Well, God bless you as you go. Please come join us at the park. It's a, it's a beautiful day, and we'd love to hang out with you a little bit. If you've got kids in Thrive Kids, please make sure to go ahead and pick them up right away. Uh, we look forward to fellowshipping with you later. God bless you.